If you've invested in your business, chances are you've funded future growth potential through leverage and after filling out loan applications and undergoing credit checks. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev. I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business. Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks, growth strategies, and methods to help you grow. If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business Course. Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace. Or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode. Let's get into it. Traffic lights, and here he is in the sh- in the studio slash office. Very convenient. Yeah. So, Richard, thanks for coming on. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey in the business world, and how you've ended up at uh, Good and Fugly? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I my background's marketing um, and customer experience, and before setting up Good and Fugly, I was at Go Get Car Share, which is Australia's largest car share company. Um, I think well, it was until maybe Uber got into it, it destroyed them. Um, <laughs> But I was there for 12 years, uh, I think I was employee number, number seven, and saw that really grow. And yeah, it was focused on marketing and customer experience and learnt a lot there um, and saw kind of how the, you know, the founders got it from you know, three cars to over 3,000 cars. And how was that going from, I guess, being there at the very start to where it ended up? How was that experience? Yeah, well, look, I was there for 12 years. Yeah. So it was always changing, um, you know, running a business when there was seven staff to then I think it was about 70 staff, private equity came in. Um, so that was a whole new thing, whole different group of challenges. And everyone would ask me, you know, you must be happy. And I'm, I don't know if I do happy <laughs> when it comes to work, but I was content, right? Yeah. Like it was always um, challenging, exciting, uh, you know, pulling your hair, hair out But at times, but that's how you know you're actually kind of evolving, I think, or mm. as a – personally anyway um so yeah it was like i left there really happy with the work i did um and the you know, people i uh, worked with and then really wanted the good and fugly i kind of I, so i left there when covid happened i took some time off to you know all the world was falling apart and so i had long service leave and all that kind of stuff as well so i thought you know what, i'll just take some time mm-hmm. um got a young kid who was at home from daycare so i took care of him while my partner worked I really went, I actually sat down and went, what did I learn at GoGet over those 12 years? Um, like there were a whole bunch of different things. But then when I came to doing, you know, potentially doing something I, for myself, which I'd always really wanted to do, 
I kind of used those things that I learned mm. to kind of help with working out what I was going to do. Yeah, for sure. I guess, do you want to give the listeners a bit of a rundown of Good and Fugly and what you do? Yeah. So we rescue uh, perfect produce. So produce that supermarkets and kind of major retailers won't take because of really beauty standards. So it's either too big, too small, might look a little bit weird. Um, 25% of that never leaves the farm because supermarkets won't take it. And so this the idea came about during COVID and lockdowns when um, my partner and I were getting uh, fruit and veg box, veggie boxes delivered. Uh, and then around the same time, I discovered that yeah, 25% of produce never leaves a farm. Uh, one third of everything we grow uh, across the world is either lost or wasted. Wow. Um, and that kind of blew my mind. So I thought, well, why wouldn't, couldn't we get a fruit and veg box of, of Imperfects? And then I looked around, there was nothing in Australia, and then looked around and it was being done in the US and the UK, like really successfully. Okay. And that's kind of what gave me the, I guess, confidence to try it here. It's one of the things that Learn at Go Get, which was they, like the two founders, came, similar story, came up with the idea, looked around overseas, it was being done in Europe and in the US, um, but not here yet. So they brought that model here. Um, and so that's how I started that. And how um, long were you roughly sort of sitting at home for doing what you were doing before sort of you came up with the idea and sort yeah. of what were the steps that you started to take Yep. So as soon as that idea sort of came to your mind? Yeah, so I spent probably about six months of just what I want to say, <laughs> taking it easy because I wasn't, but I was taking care of a kid and, and whatever and like kind of just working out what I was going to do. And I guess part of how I came to this as well is – I will answer your question – Yep. <laughs> um, is So one of the things I loved about GoGet was, for those that don't know, it's uh, car sharing, so people share a car. So well, GoGet's got a fleet of cars and I think over 100,000 people share the cars. And for every car, GoGet car, I think there's like 12 private cars taken off the road. And so for me, for my values, that's good for the planet. And so... I never had to. I never had any kind of existential moments of going, "Am I doing good? Am I not? You know, what am I doing?" It was like the more successful GoGet is as a business, the better it is for the planet. So I could be as competitive as I could and feel perfectly uh, happy inside. And so I wanted to do something similar. I wanted whatever I did, and not necessarily starting my own thing, but another job. I wanted that. I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was contributing to society. And so I kind of went. That was a big part of it. And. I listened to a podcast with a guy called Pat Barker who set up Impossible Foods and he had been an academic, I think some sort of chemist, um, and then retired from academia and was looking around at what he was going to do next. And he decided he wanted to, whatever he did next, wanted, he wanted it to have the biggest positive impact on the planet. And he looked around and he worked out kind of rearing livestock is pretty bad for the planet. And so that's how he ended up on trying to come up with a, he probably wouldn't call it a fake meat, but, a, you know, meat-based substitute. Yep. And I really liked that kind of filter of looking at what I was going to do next. I wanted it to be good for the planet. Um, I also was not a chemist, or I'm not a chemist. Um, I don't have, you know, millions of dollars to, to set something up. So this idea, good and fugly, kind of ticked a few boxes in that. Not huge capital investment to start, but yeah, great for the planet. The more successful the business is, the bigger impact it's going to have on on food waste. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I came up with the idea. Now, a big, important step for me to set this up was when I went to my partner, Vanessa, and I said, hey, 
I've had this idea. Kind of ran her through it and she said, you know what, just do it. Like just try one, <laughs> right? Because I'd been telling her for years about what about this idea, what about this idea? And this was really the first time she said, look, go for it. And if you fail, you fail. So that was really, uh, really important step for me um, where I kind of had the green light for my family really because yep. um, obviously they'd be impacted if, uh, if it didn't go well. And so then – and the other thing I learned at my time at GoGet was it doesn't have to be perfect. Just get it out there mm. um, and start small. So don't go in investing in huge warehouses and all that kinds of stuff. So um, – and that was the thing. Just get it out there and then you start getting the feedback from customers. You start getting feedback from the kind of the, you know, the data that's coming through. Either no one's buying your product or, or whatever. Yep. Um, and – I did a – so the first couple of weeks was packing inside my own house um, and delivering to friends and family and then getting their feedback to help with the product. And I set it up – my first warehouse was a storage unit at Kennards, so it kind of really small. I was the only guy packing. Um, another big thing uh, or critical thing for the business was my experience of fruit and veg is pretty much um, my dad – kind of took over the front lawn and back lawn to plant veggies. Um, I've planted, used to have a veggie garden. I've stopped now that I'm in fruit and veg because I've got so much of it in my life. Um, So you're a natural born farmer. (laughs) That's it, that's it. So, well, look, I honestly, until I started Good and Fugly, I always said, I want to be a farmer. But Vanessa's a city girl and she's made it clear there's no way uh, she's going to go live on the farm. Now, since working in Good and Fugly and dealing and working with farmers – I realise how hard it is yeah. and I'm not sure if I'm cut out for it. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so I went down to the Sydney Fresh Markets in Flemington one morning and just thought, you know, I'll go and scope it out and see see what happens. Um, and I got there and no one was really giving me the time of day. Like these gruff farmers um, kind of, yeah, not, didn't give me the time of day really. And then, but one of them kind of looked at me and I think took, took pity and he's like, what's going on? <laughs> And I told him what I was doing. He's like, okay, mate, first of all, it's too late, right? It's 6.30 in the morning. Like, we're packing up. Yeah, the early so, starters. Yeah, you got to be here at like four. Yeah. Okay. So then went back the next day, um, got there at four, spoke to a few few growers. Some of them were too busy. And it's like, you know, you're not a buyer. You're not a serious person player yet. Like, I don't have time. Others did speak to me. I told them what I wanted to do. And they like, what do you want the – the ugly stuff for like look at this stuff it's beautiful it's fresh it's you know it's only and it's cheap get this um so that kind of was a bit hard to get the concept over uh, across to what we wanted and then others were like you know what we don't bring any of the the ugly stuff anymore it's not worth packing it because no one will buy it but then there were these two brothers uh who the farm here in uh just outside of sydney or sydney basin and they listened and said yep sure we'll you know, we'll take a punt. And so started with packing a kind of a go-get car because it was a go-get member still <laughs> um, and going down there. Each started, I think, two or three days a week, uh, certain parts of Sydney, and then just started growing it from there and eventually, you know, started having to rent a truck while I was very excited about, hey, I shifted a 1,000 kilos today uh, or no, a week and it's like, you know what, it's time to figure out, like get some – Mm. Yeah, I'm getting old. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. be able to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to handle it. ramp it up. Yeah, um, and so yeah, and so then we so we're in Kennards little unit that grew, started getting employees uh, like casuals to help pack, and just kept growing, growing to all of Sydney, and kind of outgrew 
canards where we'd, we'd taken the biggest space but kind of outgrew it. Um, and another factor was in canards there's there's one toilet for however many people are there every day. Yeah. Um, it was kind of, you know, getting a bit – well, it was basically it was about staff retention, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, More than one toilet, staff yeah, retention. exactly. Um, sure. So then, yeah, looked at, uh, you know, alternatives. Yeah, cool. And I guess for our listeners, what would happen to the that produce before if if the big players weren't stocking it? What, what would happen? Yeah, so it either ends up in landfill um, or some, some of the farmers would just feed it to livestock – um, kind of dig it back into the ground. Yeah, sort of thing. okay, but interesting. It's all the the fuel, the water that's gone into growing that um, is just so wasteful. Yeah. And tracking that back to sort of once you've got the green light from your family, because we do have a lot of listeners that we've spoken to, they struggle to get past that point, sort of the idea point. Yeah. Um, was there a certain sort of couple businesses that you were looking into? Did you have multiple ideas or was it always this model and you just zeroed in and, and went for it? Um, no, it was really broad to start with. Um, and, you know, then there were kind of limiting factors, like I said. So, you know, I don't, didn't have lots of capital to mm-hmm. start, so that kind of took out, you know, probably 90 80% <laughs> of the ideas. Um, and then finding these businesses that were doing it in the US and in the UK really um, – kind of validated the idea and there were I guess a couple of trends that really helped me or not help me or it did definitely help the business but one trend was obviously so it was during COVID uh, the start of COVID so there were lockdowns so home delivery was big thing people were scared of going to the supermarkets um, and that's kind of the way we rode but then the other trend which was a bit of a punt I guess is I think people really want to do good for the planet. And my time at GoGet taught me that for a sustainable business, like an environmentally sustainable business, it's got to be as convenient, as a, at least as affordable um, as the alternative. Otherwise, it's not going to kind of grow like scale. Like you'll end up with, you know, kind of a real, like the early adopters or even, you know, just like with, not so much now, but uh, 20 years ago, it's like you'd get the the hippies like really committed to do it, but you can't build a big uh, like a, uh, a business that's going to have a real impact yep. on that. And so I thought with this, it was people want to do good. It's convenient, more convenient than going to the supermarket. Um, and if we can get find the right price point, then there's an opportunity for this to to really scale. Mm. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your your question. But yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, could you share with us some strategies strategies you've used to build and maintain a strong brand online? Yeah. I know you, you touched on some of them there, but if you could just dive a bit deeper into those. The first thing is kind of consistency of message. So our kind of our website, all the, the copy in there is really uh, presents who we are. Yeah. And so I guess before that it's what is it? And so I've got a business partner as well. Um, who I've worked with for 10, 12 years. Um, we met with working th- uh, th- with GoGet um, and his background's PR and communications. And we, at GoGet, we were like the, the brand guardians um, and very much uh, kind of helped craft the voice of the brand. And so with, Go, uh, with Good and Fugly, um, 
we spent quite a bit of time in working out what is the what is the brand and like what's the message we want to convey. And one is like our tagline is good for you, good for farmers, and good for the planet. But then also authenticity of our voice. Mm. So we don't talk about you know we don't use corporate speak um, with our commu- with our communications to customers. And so then that kind of informed the website copy and the kind of look and feel. We wanted it fun, obviously with a name like Good and Fugly. We're a bit irreverent, um, and so the brand kind of supports that. Mm. Um, oh, sorry, the, the website design supports that. And then we started, you know, we worked on who who is it that we're targeting, which, like, what's the customer segment? And for us, it's women from kind of 25 to 54. Um, and then it's like, well, where are, where are they? And they're on Instagram and Facebook. And so that they're the two kind of well, they're the two platforms we've focused on. There's a lot of change going on in you know, on the online space, and so there's always um, people saying, "Hey, we should be here. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that?" And I think kind of my job as the like a CEO of the business is focus, trying to keep everyone focused. And I'm okay with let's do a whole bunch of other platforms, but let's nail these two platforms first. And once we we're comfortable with how that's going, then we can look at an experiment with yeah, others. For sure. And I guess at the start, I know a lot of people struggle with it, us, us included, Daniel mm. and I, where we're wearing all the hats. Mm-hmm. So like you're packing, you're doing the marketing, sales, customer service, inquiries and everything. How did you manage that at the start when it was just yourself and your partner? Yeah. Um, oh, look, it was, it was fun. Um, it was one way to put it yeah it's only fun uh, after the fact yeah. it's only fun after you've gone through the yeah. traumatic sleepless experiences yeah but look i um so customer experience is key uh, to growing the business or any business for word of mouth etc um so very focused on that but i did in the early days had a bit of an epiphany where like I'm talking the early weeks mm. of the business where a customer, something went wrong with a customer's box and they weren't going to get it. And I went into panic mode. Um, you know, I'd go get, oh, I had a team to sort this stuff out. And then I just had a moment where it's like, you know what? It's a box of fruit and veg. <laughs> no one's going to die. <laughs> yeah. um, no one's funeral, like dad's funeral's been stuffed up because uh, uh, the car wasn't where it should have been. Yeah. So it's just like kind of take a moment. Perspective. Yeah. Um, so that was important for me. Um, but yeah, and then I think the big thing is you know, it's focus, yeah. right? And so I've already said about, talked about focus, but when you've got a limited or budget and limited amount of hours, um, and especially at the start when it's just you, it's kind of try to stay focused on what's going to have the biggest impact. It's super hard and there are things that you want to fix, but when you look at it a bit of a macro level, you go, my time is better spent on sorting out this issue yeah. rather than that issue, which annoys me, but I'm better off spending it on that. Yeah, mm. prioritise. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Were there um, many things at the start that you did and they just didn't work, failed miserably? Um, like any learning experiences from that? Not failed. I wouldn't say failed. Mis- well, a little I guess bit like of maybe failed. marketing strategies. Yeah. So, and you know, people that worked with me are going to laugh at this, but um, – <laughs> I did direct marketing, like so letterbox drops. And uh, so uh, that's basically how we built GoGet, right? But it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So (laughs) it worked then. Um, But I was like wanting to be really targeted and I thought, you know, so I gave it a go and it was okay. But then you're looking at it 
from you know comparing it to the ROI on digital, it was a waste of money. Yeah. Um, that was it, really. And then we've done a few things where some sponsorship things that really we didn't get any um, benefit from, um, but nothing too big. Like, no, we haven't made any big bets that have failed. Um, and that's the, with the idea of test. Mm. And then if it works, then scale it. Yeah, cool. Cool. So there's obviously a lot of orders coming through now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So, and there's been an obvious rise in e-commerce, especially in the last, you know, call it five years, right? How do you ensure that there's a seamless and delightful sort of customer experience from browsing to actually purchasing on your online store? This is one of those areas where kind of focus and prioritisation comes into it. Um, in When I was at GoGet, had a bigger team, could really spend time on on optimising the website, you know, doing a lot of A-B testing with different things, um, and I, I, we just didn't have time for that. Um, but our site's built with Shopify, um, and that's already got a lot of kind of optimization stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were designing our own website, like from scratch, then um, I think that would have been harder or would require more resources. Um, so and one of the things was, sorry, about looking at these other businesses overseas is, so I've been in businesses where there's another big global competitor with what you'd assume are massive research budgets and optimization budgets. So what we would do is take inspiration from what they're doing and kind of, you know, do that. Like they've already would have done the testing. They would have done all that. Let's – you can't just do that, but it kind of maybe gives you a few steps forward. Yeah, making adjustments rather than reinventing the whole wheel. Yeah, right? especially – The business world as a whole. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Especially when, like you said, when they've got the budget, yeah. it doesn't hurt just to have a prying eye on what they're doing and see if you can – yeah. make something up for your own business from that so and building that online store did you outsource did you do it yourself if you know a brand was looking to do it from scratch what would your recommendation who's someone who's done it be yeah so i i didn't do it on my own um i had um a designer that i used to work with at GoGet for years who's actually based overseas um and had a good working relationship with him went to him told him what i was doing Told him it's, you know, just getting this off the ground. Um, and so I got pretty good rates, I think, and kind of uh, built it from there. You know, it took a lot of opinions, uh, like, sh- you know, whatever I got presented with, shared it around, got, got opinions. Um, Where did you look for feedback? So, well, Vanessa, partly. Yep. She's got um, a couple of things. One is more marketing experience than I do. And also she's the target market. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, other friends. And then the people that, when I started delivering boxes to, they're the people I, I – like the first, I think, couple of weeks was, here's a free box, and tell me what you think. And then I'd send them a survey yeah, um, cool. and get that, that feedback there. Is, is there anything that maybe took you too long to, to figure out during your journey? Look, in hindsight, it's kind of easy to go, yep, I should have done this, I should have done that. And then sometimes it's just like, you know what, just remember what it was. Like I ended up – I had a bit 
the choice to make between two types of software to use to manage the subscriptions. And in those days, early days, I went with the cheapest one because I was well, I'm still bootstrap. Cash flow is still important, but yeah, it was bootstrap. Wasn't even sure if this was going to get off the ground, mm. right? But it kind of bit me in the bum later because it was like a nightmare to use. And so then eventually made the transition to the other software. But in hindsight, yeah, I should have gone with the other one, but who knows, I might not have a business now. Was there a significant price difference as well? Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know if we've spoken about it before, but the importance is just doing it, right? You can make adjustments and pivots later within your business journey. Yeah. Sometimes you have to take the cheaper option in order to get to the next step to take the optimised option, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's never too late to, to pivot. I guess maybe when you get to your level and given how well the business is doing, um, but at the beginning, like you said, it's easy to pivot. It's easy to pivot. But yeah. sometimes the cheapest option isn't always the right option, even at the start. Yeah. So again, hindsight 2020, but yeah. it, I guess it is what it is, unfortunately. Sometimes yeah. and, and sometimes it gets to the point where there's so many customers or clients, it is too hard to pivot. Yeah. Like if you're relying on a certain data set or whatever it is, it can it can become tricky once there's a lot of clients. So yeah. for sure. I know we touched on marketing before. We mentioned, um, I guess, the whole meta platform. What Were they the two main channels that were targeted? And I guess, how did you target it? Was it through ads? And how did you sort of work that process out? To start with, like in the first few couple of months, it was me doing it. Mm. I just going on a kind of Google ads and, and meta and, so, and kind of, I got the ads designed um, by, the, by the design and stuff, but then put them together. Um, but really quickly realised, like it was good enough to, to get started, but if we really wanted to scale it, we needed to get some expertise in. So we got kind of my partner's team did it in-house for a bit, and then eventually we moved to a slightly bigger agency, um, and they managed to get us to a certain level, and then got exposure to a larger agency, um, which was more expensive, but then I think they just have more resources and so we kind of moved to them um, and they've been great. And you're still with them today? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And at, at what point or what was the catalyst where you went from doing it yourself or in-house in the business to referring it to an agency? Partly was when we had some revenue coming in so we could actually afford it. Mm. Um, that still does ma- help. Still when making can, losses. When but you can pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty, you know. It's, it's true. That was, that was the thing. And then it, it meant... You know, it's saving me yeah. a few hours a week for sure, and, and that adds doing up. Something else. People don't so. people don't think about that as well. Where if you can take five hours off your plate a yeah. week, like two hundred and fifty hours over the year, roughly, um, like that's huge, and it allows you to focus or a business owner to focus on things like growing revenue or whatever it is. But it's yeah. people really underestimate that. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that's um, no, really really interesting that you made that change. And was it early on, or did you? Um, yeah, like it would have been maybe six months in or something yeah, okay. like that. So it wasn't too far in. And would you say that ads have been the most effective in terms of marketing? Uh, yeah, we've also – it's a lever we can pull. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of be sort of confident uh, as long as you don't go too crazy um, of what it's going to bring in. And then the other big thing for us has been PR. So we've had a lot of PR. That's my business partner's um, specialty. And that's driven a lot of, of uh, awareness as well. Well, obviously running businesses comes with challenges and I think we've spoken about a couple now, but are there any sort of specific hurdles or challenges that you wanted to maybe isolate? And whatever those ones are, how did you overcome them, whether it's strategy-wise or even mentally, right? Because it can be mentally draining for business owners as well. Yeah, interesting. So 
I think one of the biggest challenges that surprised, I don't know if it surprised me, but I hadn't really given it too much thought was, so I was talking to a friend, um, telling him the business, set up this business and telling him about it. And he said to me, you know, you're not in the fruit and veg business, you're in the logistics business. And I was like, you're right. And I learned less about the logistics business than I do about the fruit and veg business. Um, but, oh, and we were doing the deliveries um, in-house for a while, as in, yeah. Uh, and that was another thing that was ended up taking me like three hour, two or three hours a day to do the route planning yeah. for the drivers and then the drivers being annoyed anyway because the route planning was terrible um, and in the end made the call, okay, let's pay someone else to do it. It's more expensive than, well... The, the cost per delivery seems to be more expensive, but when you take my time out of it, it actually works worked out and you're able to scale quickly. Um, so that was a big one. And mentally, I don't know, the, probably the biggest challenge, I don't know, it probably depends on personalities, but it's either, so I'm tracking my sales every day, you know, you have a good week, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is going well, we've cracked it. And then the next week, Sales might be less than last week, and it's like, oh, this is a disaster. It's like, an endless battle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just trying to, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but temper the highs and lows, yeah. right? It's it's not just because you've sold a few extra boxes this week doesn't mean you're going to take over the world, um, and just because you've lost, you know, you haven't, you've had a few fewer sales one week doesn't mean it's it's the end and it's time to go get a job. Well, the yeah. highs and lows is just business as a, as a whole, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure there's not a single industry or business owner that can say they don't go through through highs and lows. And yeah. once you pass them, that's the whole fun of it, right? You know, I have had this feedback before that I don't enjoy my wins as I should, but, um, you know, occasionally I joke, like once a year at Christmas I'll <laughs> look back and go, oh, yeah, you know what, look, well, wow, all of a sudden we've got, Double the employees and, you know, yeah, it is, it's satisfying building something. Yeah, for sure. And I guess one of the main advantages of having an online business is the potential for that big growth. Can you share some insights into how you've expanded the business beyond, I guess, the local market? Yeah. Um, so we are yeah, delivering to all of Sydney um, and kind of the our first market outside of our home market was Melbourne. And... Um, again, we kind of started small. We were shipping from Sydney to Melbourne um, overnight. And then once we reached a certain volume, we've set up a warehouse in Melbourne um, and servicing the city that way. And yeah, and it was just like we learned, we had some, we had some teething issues. In, you know, we went really hard actually with advertising in, in Melbourne when we started. And then because it was a new market, like it added an extra day to our um supply chain and so we had some issues with freshness and things like that there but we just adapted um when we're deciding on what to put in the boxes doing it putting things in there that are going to last um we had to change uh, the kind of line hall providers a couple of times um to kind of find that reliable one but yeah but these are all just i guess just the issues with scaling yeah and uh, when you are moving interstate or to different locations, what's the mindset and I guess what's some of the parameters you're looking at before you, say, move into, I don't know, Perth or whatever's next? That's some ways a secret sauce. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's Done. got the secret spices. We'll, yeah. we'll scrap that question. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, it's we're trying to go where our target market is. Um, 
and you know, where we can achieve volume. Yeah, so sure. it's you know, capital cities. Uh, we're also just opened up in Gold Coast, uh, Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Um, Do you find when you're moving into these different locations, you're hitting the ground running? Is there a, lag, uh, a lag time in terms of how, not so much how profitable, but sales coming in? So look, into Melbourne and Brisbane, not really. Um, the, and we kind of launched into there with a bit of a kind of PR splash. So that was that was really good. Um, but the kind of the smaller cities, we're learning that right now. Um, it's, yeah, we've been in Gold Coast for I think about four weeks, three weeks, three or four weeks. And yeah, we're still learning, but it's not as good as I hoped, but it's not as bad as it could be. But I expect it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, you do a lot of work with Instagram, Facebook, and you said you've got a PR component to Good and Fugly as well. Have you explored sort of partnerships with influencers, um, complementary businesses? And if you do, how do you choose the right people to collaborate with? And do you have like a set criteria or do you just go in and, and work it out? Yeah, so with influencers, we've done a, a little bit um, where there are kind of influencers in the food space. Um, and that's pretty easy, really, because it's send you a fruit and veg box. They love it. Talk about it. We are doing a bit of a sponsorship with some um AFLW uh, players uh, where we send them boxes and they uh, do a story about it every week. So that's pretty much all we've done really in the influencer space at this stage. Uh, But with partnerships, we've got quite a few. We've um, got partnerships with Nutrition Australia, Oz Harvest, Second Bite, Cornersmith, which is a business all focused on on food waste. And it's going to sound a bit flippant, but my main criteria and it's from my experience at go get is it's got to be easy mm. right so talking with a potential partner it's, i think it's got to be really clear what you both are going to get out of it and i don't mean that like writing down you'll get four posts i'll get three da, da, da. it's just if it makes sense yep yeah, makes sense for you to do this partnership with me and makes sense for me to do it with you like some of the best partnerships i did or the best partnership i had experience with at go get was go get an ikea's partnership and that was pretty much on a handshake until I think someone in IKEA realised there was no agreement. It's like, we've got to get an agreement here. But that was already like a year in. Mm. Um, and it was really obvious that our joint success, um, like we were both going to succeed. And it was like, if the partnership succeeds or if the thing we're doing together succeeds, we both benefit from it. Like that was super easy and clear. And then I've had others where it's like, right, Here's a contract. Mm. Like re- I'm not saying don't go into partnerships with a contract, but here's a 50-page a contract and you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And it just kind of gets a bit too – I guess if the opportunity is big enough, you know, you, you jump through whatever hoops. But the best partnerships are done on trust, um, I think. And Because then, it, like, if it doesn't work, you can talk to them and say, you know, I know I promised you – four, five, ten, whatevers, that I'm getting complaints from my customers about it. Can we do something else? Yeah. And yeah, I think that's pretty pretty important. And with the the newer locations when you do like a big PR campaign, what would that consist of if you were to So look where we launched into uh, Melbourne, um, we got just like Channel Nine News, um, on the six o'clock news, which was great. Awesome. But it's basically the PR team kind of reaching out to everyone in the city um, who could potentially write about write or, or or 
publish a story about us um, from. So you got the yeah, TV news, which is always pretty lucky to get. Um, and even when you think you've got it, then something happens and you get bumped. But then to kind of physical magazines like Delicious Magazine and things like that to then online stuff like Broadsheet and things yep. like that. And, and for people that aren't in sort of the marketing space, what's the main difference between PR and marketing? Yeah. So PR is when um, – that's a good question. But I think it should be easy to answer. But uh, PR is like when a publication uh, writes about you and for free, right? And it's um, – you're they're writing about you because you're interesting. Uh then marketing is you pay, right? And then there's a, there's a middle one which is advertorial, which is you pay a publication to put your story in and it kind of looks like it's, you know, like they've written it, but the reality is it's an ad. Yeah, mm. yeah, cool. And I know we briefly touched on the um, supply chain and how that works. How do you ensure that uh, there's the, the product delivery, like it's happening on time, like that whole process and your inventory management, how do you make sure that's seamless? You're presuming it's seamless, <laughs> um, which is, you know, the goal. Oh, it's really hard. And in the early days, like it's still early days, yeah. like it's you know, been less than three years, but um, in the very early days, it's like it was just me. Like that's – when it's just you, it's pretty easy. Well, not easy, but it's – you know where all the moving parts are. Um, but as we scale, yeah, trucks break down, uh, deliveries are late, you kind of have a play – bit of a playbook on how to deal with it. Kind of the biggest disaster is not the right word. It feels like a disaster when it's happening. But um, if our truck's going to Brisbane, say something happens, breaks down, so the customers aren't going to get their boxes till till the day after they expected it, then you know the first few times it happens, it's well, it's always annoying when it happens, but the first few times are kind of running around like headless chooks and then now we've got a bit of a playbook where it's like, right, get the email out, yep. let's tell our customers straight away. Um Give them a heads up so that if anyone wants to cancel and can go. We're counting on our produce for dinner that night that they've got some time to make other arrangements. Um, and then it's if it keeps happening with the same people, it's looking at what alternatives are there. Um, and then another thing is we're now at a position where I've been able to hire someone in um, as a head of operations who's got a lot more experience mm. than I do. And how do you how did you find? from the early stages to now when you're starting to let go of certain roles how did you find that was that hard to do or did you find you could do it with with ease yeah no it was hard yeah like it, yeah no it's definitely hard um there are some things and like recently it's been like you know what i don't have to think about that anymore yeah there's someone else who's, who's actually thinking about that which is great but then in other areas it's i'm not going to see every box right that's going to go out and then it's you kind of realize for the business to grow, I just have to step away um, and then try and look at what systems we can put in place so that it's like me looking in the box, even yeah. though it's never going to be, because – and I'm not saying I do it right, but I have a certain idea of how I want it done. And sometimes I could be wrong as well. So just let it go. Try work on building the system so the system tells you if it's, if it's not working. Just as a bit of a philosophical endpoint, if our audience can take one thing away from today's – Sort of conversation what would that be and what would you want to tell you know close to our ten thousand business owners who listen to this podcast i kind of want to say focus and prioritization but i think 
Maybe that's a second one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the the first thing is just get it out there, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, it's better to, you know, you don't want to put crap out into the market, but you can spend way too long um, on making something perfect or what you think is going to be close to perfect that you've got other stuff to be worrying about. So just kind of get it out there and then you'll get that feedback loop to tell you how to adapt for the next time. Well, a very common theme with anything sort of, you know, money-related, business-related is just start. Mm. You hear it all the time from a lot of the – well, any business owner, it's like you're never going to find the perfect time. Yep. It's never going to be the perfect opportunity to do what you need to do and sometimes it's the most important thing is just to start, right? Yeah, yeah. spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right, thanks, Richard, for coming in. No worries, thank you. Daniel, thank you. No I'm always here anyway. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC Education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.